Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode 13 of the Running Industry Podcast. This is an elite athlete, you're real, you're a bit of a selfish git. It was very insular, you know, I kept myself to myself, I went to the track on a Tuesday. Whereas with these guys, you know, everything was open, you know, and everyone had something to share and everyone was just more down to earth and... You know, it was it was a real eye-opener for me, and it still is now. I love it. So in today's podcast, I'll be talking to Holly Rush, former GB marathon runner, co-host of Marathon Talk, and the ASICS frontrunner community manager in the UK. These days, Holly is also a dog-loving marathon runner turned mountain ultra and trail runner with a passion for good food, good coffee and adventures. The ASICS frontrunner community now stretches to over 30 countries in the world and with more than 600 runners who share one common goal, to get the world moving for a sound mind in a sound body. Yeah, so we, we look for, and all split shapes and sizes, all, you know, we've got Jamie in our team, who's a blade runner, an adaptive athlete, and he's phenomenal. And Kerry O'Flaherty, who's a Northern Irish steeplechaser who went to Rio Olympics. She is like one in a million because she is, she has a beer at the weekend. She joins in with everything. She's a good laugh. That's the sort of people that we have in our team. Genuinely, we have a really lovely community. And I hope that shows. Alongside her work on the Front Runner programme, Holly is also an ASIC studio coach and a mentor through her website rushbynature.com. And we'll also discover a wonderful sporting fact towards the end of the show about Holly that will surprise you all. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Run Industry, on our website runningindustrypodcast.com, where you can listen to all the previous episodes and subscribe to future ones. For now, though, on with this week's show and our guest. Holly Rush. So welcome to the Running Industry Podcast, Holly Rush. Hello, pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on, Holly. I know it's a, it's a Sunday. I don't often do these on a Sunday and you just told me it's your day off. Well, I know, sorry, that just did that really make you feel bad? I didn't really mean bad. to make you feel bad. It's just, yeah, it is what it is. But this is probably the best time to get me at the moment. Yeah, you know? as we'll get into you, it's very, very busy. But also it's long run day. Do those things exist these days? I don't know if they do, do they? I don't know, actually. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they do for me because I'm training for a marathon. Uh, well, appar- apparently, if it happens. So, yes, it does. It does. Long run is a necessary evil. Yeah, what is it you've got on the... Are you? Is it Wrexham you're hoping to do? If yeah, yeah. I've got Wrexham, the sort of... Um, they're calling it the elite marathon. Um, it, it feels like it might be the only one that could cling on to... Um, the race diary because of its they're trying to get sort of elite status I think so and there's talk mm. of us getting COVID tests and stuff but you know if the world is moving so fast at the moment and things are moving forward we just don't know do we and I guess they can't make a call yet there's a few other marathons around that time but they're sort of mm. making a call this month I think you don't fancy the Olympic trial um, the Olympic trial for what not the marathon <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. think I, I don't think I'm anywhere near that standard anymore. As I said, I got a PB today in the gym, and that's as close to PBs I'm going to be getting in a long time. Yeah, well, we've got to take these PBs when they come, haven't we? So, um, oh, yeah, I definitely. mean, we are in the middle of February and another lockdown. I know you live in Froome in Somerset, a lovely part of the world, with your partner Pete and dog Lemmy. Um, you're still a very active runner, podcaster, community manager, writer, coach. I could go on and on. So I'm guessing that even though we're all staying at home, you're still really busy. Yeah, do you know what? It's funny because obviously we've been in this, we've, it's been a year, hasn't it really? That we've been in this sort of in and out of lockdown and, and this pandemic. And actually for me, especially in the first lockdown, um, I I was super busy. I'm still busy, but I was super busy because a lot of my work is online. So, which is good, you know, I mustn't complain. I, I, there's so many people out there who weren't working. I mean, Pete mm. obviously couldn't work because the gyms were closed and he's not a big one for doing uh, Zoom workouts. He's not that that sort of person um it's bad enough being in front of an actual person let alone you know screen people um so so yeah so I was really really busy and, I, and I've remained busy throughout and I think we've been trying to get out a lot more content especially the first lockdown we you know the SMSB stuff we tried to get out a lot more content online which meant um probably more work for me and um and obviously I do a lot of work for um ASIC studio or Runkeeper. 
so I was recording a lot of workouts online and and then now obviously I've got the application phase which was just finished for the new 2021 front runners um, but the irony of it is that we had the application phase this time last year and we really haven't even met last year's yeah, <laughs> um, new course. team members so yeah it's been a weird time but yeah I've been really busy in fact sometimes I felt like do you know what I just want to get off this merry-go-round it's been a bit it's quite you know it's so many like zoom calls and instagram and instagram lives and stuff like that i like it but it is it's just it's too much sometimes you know it's a bit overwhelming isn't it i mean even Mm. you know for people depending you know even for i would have thought for people who are social media professionals if yeah. you, know, you know when do they get a break you know from i mean maybe some well, people love it but surely yeah. even the most ardent and most amazing instagrammer blogger vlogger youtuber etc there must be times when they really do just need a break from it all well that's the thing i think sometimes as much as i've always said i hate would have to hate, hate to have a nine-to-five job sometimes because my job is sort of a lot of it's around social media or WhatsApp, etc. I feel that sometimes I'm never away from it. The only time I'd be away from it is if I actually turned everything off and put it away. And I guess that's probably what I should do sometimes. But because I'm at everyone's beck and call 24-7, it is quite draining, actually. And you do want to... And that's why I used to go to Nepal quite a lot. Mm. <laughs> I love Nepal, but it's re- for you know, other reasons, but it's great to not be able to have any signal for two weeks. Yeah, I don't know that soon there's going to be, you know, I saw that Nims Dai, I don't know if you know Nims Dai Perjo, who's the amazing um, Nepalese climber who's just mm. the all the 8,000s. He's doing Instagrams on the top of mountains. I know. I mean, that is the thing. So the last time Crazy. I was there, which was the year before, so it was 2018, I ran Annapurna on my own with my pack. And I was actually quite peeved that a lot of the time I had signal like I'd be climbing a pass and suddenly my phone would tinkle and you're like what you know a couple of years before that that wasn't the case so yeah you have to go quite far out to get away from people now <laughs> or as you say turn it off <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the temptation is there I mean we will talk more about you know that kind of social media and podcasting and your coaching work etc but one of the main sort of topics I'd like to cover with you today because I think it is super interesting um your work as a community manager for ASIC's Frontrunner Project I can see from all your social media that you've been extra busy this last few weeks and you just mentioned the fact that, you know, you haven't really met last year's, but you're looking to take in the 2021 intake, should we call them, the team of runners. Just talk us through how and why that project was set up, Holly, and also what's the sort of criteria you use when you select these front runners? So um, the front runner um, project was actually set up. Oh gosh, actually, now you're asking. It's over ten years ago because it started in Germany. So this was the brainchild of um, one of the um, German employees, actually, and he started it. And it started off like relatively small, obviously in Germany, in one country. That's why they've got the biggest team. And then it started to roll out because obviously they realised it was a really good thing. Um, I mean, it's great for the company. Um, it's great, great for the product, but it was also um, a lovely sort of side the side tracks and you're having elite athletes you know paid elite athletes or kit athletes compared to ambassadors or influencers who were more like us you know like mm. the everyman so you could relate to yeah. them you know you can't always relate to people like Mo Farah you can look up to them but you can't really relate to them and and that's sort of why this scheme sort of started um and then it's been in the UK um four years I think um and it's spreading out like you said there's 30 countries now I think Finland is the newest country this year mm-hmm. um and each country has a different number of front runners in the team according to how long they've been going and how, how how big the country is really um although as we're quite a small country comparison we've got we're the second biggest uh, team so we're currently we have 45 front runners and we're um, going to be expanding on that not by many but I can't tell you how many that would be Ooh, secret. Yeah, I, it's top secret you'll find yeah. out soon uh, but it's not many so when you said about what sort of people do we look for I guess actually every year it's slightly different um, especially now as the numbers are smaller that we're getting so we have to be a bit more specific about what we're looking for Um, but ultimately we're looking for people with a great story who love running it does help that you you know you are a 
sort of brand lover that you do wear Asics. There's no point if you love wearing Vaporflies because, you know, that's not going to work out. Um, you know, we look for people who are really passionate about running, running in their community. You don't have to be fast. I do think, I've spoken about this in other podcasts, I do think there is a slight problem in our name that we're called front runners and people seem to think that you have to be really, really fast. And that's yeah. just not the case at all. You know, we have people that are really fast. Like we have, we have Olympians in our team. We have people who've gone to games, but we've also got people who've only just started running and don't run any further than five or 10k so it really there is no sort of right or wrong we're looking for people you know anyone that runs is a runner uh, we're looking for people all over the country we're looking for people with a you know maybe a story or they're you know doing something great in their community um and there's no i think the uh, the youngest you can be is 18 uh, this year and then we've got no age limit i think we've got the out the oldest um front runner is 84 yeah that's fantastic yeah, so we we look for and all the shapes and sizes. All you know, we've got Jamie in our team, who's a Blade Runner, um, an adaptive athlete, and he's phenomenal. He doesn't he does he did the trail camp a couple of years ago. Mm. You know, he's running up and down mountains with his blade, and we just try and be as inclusive and diverse as we possibly can. Yeah, and going back to that word front runner, you know, far better than I do, having been you know at the very top of the sport. You know, the tendency has always been to focus on the Mo Farahs yourself when you were racing, you know, the, the amazing Sarah Halls of this world, the mm. Elliot Kipchoge's. And you do sometimes, or you have done in the past, you felt that that person who's just maybe the mid-pack, even at the right at the back, they just don't really get their stories told. And I think that's probably the purpose, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right that those sort of people are not relatable so much. And I think it's really changing now. I think definitely within our industry and definitely within um, ASICs, the thing that I wanted to step away from with the um, the community, and I know it was probably a problem to start with, and it is with the other brands maybe, that it's all about influencers, which is a mm. bit of a dirty word. I don't really like the word influencer because, um, you know, I like people, like I said, who um, are runners, you know, who are in the community and... Mm passionate about it and so with the front runners we are being used now for loads of the campaigns within um asics rather than the influencers or the models or any of those people because um, or even the athletes you know the top athletes because like you say people look at us and they see themselves and that is uh, i think that's a much better role model than maybe you know a beautiful looking model or maybe an athlete you know they have their place I'm not saying that but you know there's a lot of athletes that are fantastic in um on social media and with the community and um in on media but there are a lot that are just not I mean I can only say it in a certain way like interviewing some people for marathon talk or being yeah, involved yeah. with some elite athletes I have been in the past you know they're hard work then they tend to get the if they're very high profile they get the PR training that's why when you get the people like uh, Usain Bolt or someone like that, who is, you know, going out clubbing and tripping over and those sort of people are sort of gold dust. And, and that's why we have, and no disrespect, and this is the other thing I will say, so the elite athletes, I do get it. You're yeah. training hard. You want to concentrate on that. You don't want to be getting involved with Instagram lives with mm. some of us or our beer festivals or mm. whatever. Mm. And we understand that. And that's why we, the elite athletes that we have had on the team or do have on the team, I'll give a plug out to Kerry O'Flaherty, who's a Northern Irish steeplechaser who went to Rio Olympics. She is like one in a million because she is, she has a beer at the weekend. She joins in with everything. She's like a, you know, proper she's a good laugh and I'm not mm, saying mm. other athletes are but that's that's the sort of people that we have in our team genuinely we have a really lovely community and I hope that shows from your point of view though as an international athlete I mean you competed at the very very top of the sport how was it for you having to adjust your mindset from I suppose super structured you know elite level sport where you're thinking about you know programs and your next session and all that to managing a I suppose, let's, let's call it a, a process with the front runners, inspiring them, managing them or keeping them, you know, informed, etc. Is there a change in mindset or did you find it quite easy? Oh, yeah. Do you know what's such a good question? Massive change in mindset, because actually when I started at the job, I actually was, um, I was an A6 athlete. So I was a, 
um, assigned athlete with them actually with Essex since 2013. I was with Socony yeah. and then I left Socony and then I I, managed, I I fell into the job because um, I don't know if you've had Simon Freeman on the show, who's yes, like the have. wind. I know okay, Simon, so, yeah. okay, so Simon's a good friend of mine, and it was it's a bit of a long story, but there was some they did a uh, a project called Beat the Sun or Outrun the Sun. It's changed names, I don't know if you've heard of it. And it was the first year, and it was a world record attempt to have two teams to try and run UTMB as a team on the longest day of the year within the sunlight sun hours which is like Mm. 13 hours i think something like that Mm. anyway um there was two teams there was one with uh like professional trail mountain runners and then a team of other athletes more of us because obviously we couldn't run that far um who were different from different um sports you know like uh triathletes um marathon runners whatever road runners and um uh, tim don was on the team and he actually mm. unfortunately had to drop out and simon called me two days before the event and said look they're looking for someone i put your name forward can you do it and i was like what i'd never been to chamonix anyway so they said can you get out to chamonix in tomorrow and i so i had to fly home and then fly out i went out did this event for Essex, had the best time ever uh, it was a massive shock for me um and then they signed me off that which was great and then I was with them for a few years and then this ASIC front runner thing started and um, they asked me to be part of it as sort of a pro team person I didn't really know what was going on didn't get involved very much and then um I was working for England Athletics at that time I got made redundant and then they said to me would you think about taking on this community role and I thought you know what? I don't know I don't know I'm not sure and they said well look we have our international meet every year it's coming up this weekend in Germany would you go out there and hang out with all of the teams oh my god it was like I don't know how there was hundreds of these front runners from all over the world I don't know what it seemed like they were all really young all completely nuts um like super excited like it was just I was like well god this this is not me at all and we did this event and then we did it was it was um so I'd come from this you know this sort of structured background everything had to be done this way and then we did it was basically full-on constantly doing workshops going what rafting having barbecues then in the evening we had an evening race it was a 5k and a 10k at night through the town it was great but um I'd been drinking beer before that and then we did a race and then I did this flat out 5k and then we didn't have any we just had snacks and we're drinking more booze and we went straight from there to a nightclub and it was like okay I don't know and then the the next day it was just you know like a weekend of just crazy craziness and I came back from it and I said to my husband at the time I was like I don't know if I can do this it's not really my sort of scene and then I said I'll go and I'll do it and then I I met the UK team and I loved the UK team. It, it really was. I think it was because I was in a, the weekend was like a cauldron of loads of different people, different countries, and they mm. all knew each other already. And it was just a bit off-putting. But actually, once I started being with the team, knowing what it was about, I sort of fell, I fell in love with it. And actually, you're right, my mindset did have to change. But I have to say, they have taught me so much about running about the running community because as an elite athlete you're real you're a bit of a selfish git you don't you don't sort of get involved with that especially road running I'm not saying about ultras or mountains quite different but the road running scene is quite different it was very insular you know I kept myself to myself I went to the track on a Tuesday trained with the boys whatever whereas with these guys you know everything was open you know and everyone had something to share and everyone was just more down to earth and you know it was it was a real eye-opener for me and it still is now. I love it. I've been in your role as a Salomon community manager yeah, and I've done all that. I've been around the world. I've, um, you know, been I've, to the parties. I've drunk, drunk wine and danced in nightclubs with Killian Jornet <laughs> and stuff like that. It's all <laughs> happened, but, and some of, it will, some of it will stay un, untold. Of course. What I would say is the great thing about when you step out of that, if I'm honest with you, Holly, is that you then meet, the real community because when you're racing and when you're at the highest level and you're running for gb and you're going to the commie games and all the rest of it it's a bit of a bubble isn't it it's not really really the running world is it it's it's elite sport it's an absolute it elite sport it's cloak and dagger 
So what you've done is you've come, you've now, what you've done is you've moved in and you're just meeting all these incredible people as well. And what this is, hopefully this is life. Yeah, like you are, you're so right. You're meeting all these um, lovely people. I wouldn't, no, I'm not saying all, like the other thing, there is a, there is a dark side to it yeah, in terms of the, 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 the social media stuff and all that. You have a yes. lot of haters and a lot of yeah, trolls, yeah, yeah. but yes. you have that as an elite athlete, I guess. But, mm. um, so there are those bits of it, but, but that's a minority, you know, mm. the majority are just genuine just brilliant beautiful people beautiful people and um and I have to say I've been really really lucky and I'm really lucky that I'm in that role what would you say is your one of your favorite memories from these uh these front runner apart from obviously 5k's in between beer sessions oh yeah um oh god we've had some great things like so we have um we have our meets that we have every year like we have a couple of meets a year so if you if you join the front run team we meet we have two get-togethers a year obviously apart from last year um and on those meets you know everything's paid for you just have to buy your own beer um which could be expensive um we normally do races together um and that's probably been the highlight so i would say probably 2019 so we did like I said I did Barcelona Marathon I went out there with some of the team that was great race there Manchester we had our meet there we all get together and do a race and we do workshops and stuff and we always do a fun thing that could be like go-karting or we did a Dublin meet where I quite appallingly set up a whiskey tasting night which is not Oof. very good as it as runners um, and then we had Dublin Marathon the next day so yeah it doesn't that's not great if you're an elite athlete is it um, and then I think probably some of the best stuff is we are into national meets so the international meets are very special and normally a country hosts those and last time we had one in Paris so we did the Paris marathon and I paced one of our front runners uh, which was really lovely to do um, and it was also the same time we had a big um, project that was going on I'd been involved in the project the year before which where I ran from Dubai to Amman with a group of girls it was a girl only project which was pretty cool um, and then this year we had a project which was we had a group of runners so front runners from all over the world it's 10 of them I think who ran from London to Paris and they finished with the Paris marathon and one of those was Pete my partner so mm. I was in Paris waiting for him to finish and then we ran Paris marathon the next day Stuff like that is, you know, you don't get to do that as an elite athlete as such. You go, so for me, when I was traveling, I would go to a, a city um, that I didn't really care where it was or what it or what it was, as long as it was flat and fast, I would go in, do the race. I wouldn't see any of the city because mm. I'd be sitting in my room and then mm. I'd fly home again. And yeah. so this sort of stuff, we don't, we, we get to do stuff and we get to, you know, hang out and do fun things. So it's quite yeah. different. And I guess that you're taking that experience that you had at that you know at the, the top end of the sport and actually translating it into well actually you know I can talk to these people and hopefully that I mean that must offer quite a bit of credibility should I say to the people who you're hopefully for want of a better word advising or helping along their journey. I put some pictures up of some of the marathons I was doing I'd done and they were saying stuff like oh what year was that because I think I did it and I was like and they'd said like 2013 I was like no I'd actually retired by then this is yeah. before that you know so it's um, I know you said I was an elite athlete, but I've never, ever thought of myself as that. I always have that slight enough. imposter syndrome. So mm, I, mm. you know, I didn't start until my late twenties properly, properly running. And, you know, it was a massive highlight for me to go to the Europeans, but it was never something I thought would happen to me All the Commonwealth Games. It just did. So I don't, I don't see myself as someone who's gone up through the junior ranks and then onwards. I don't see myself as that. Right. So for me, it's not a, it's, it's not, I think that I'm more like them. That's how athletes are viewed, I suppose, generally. We, you know, and I'm of, I've obviously just done exactly that. I've lumped you into the, you know, the yeah. athlete category, but just talking about your competitive side of things as well, you've obviously still got some ambitions. I can see that from whenever you listen to Marathon Talk. Your focus now, I suppose, your running has moved more adventurous, more experiential. You know, you want to go out and do, they'll be competitive, but run at some of these big races like TDS, UTMB. I know you've, you've run a lot of ultras around the world. It might be interesting to some listeners as well. It's interesting to me how you then change your mindset from when we were talking about you being so goal-driven, so time-driven, you know, as well as I do, it has to change a bit. Your whole mindset as to how you approach 80-kilometer yeah. mountain race, it's chalk and cheese almost, isn't it? Obviously, you still need to prep. Obviously, you still need to do some speed work. But how did you change your mindset to right now? I'm not necessarily looking so much at my kilometers an hour, but I'm looking at the elevation. I'm looking at how I feel yeah. and managing my mindset. 
Oh, I mean, that was the biggest thing when I first went, did an ultra or the stage races I started off with doing, I was utterly mortified that a mile could take me half an hour. <laughs> I was like, what the, I just know for me, it was all about before that. And that's partly why I did step away in the end. It was all about split times, uh, lactate pro readings was I was I felt like I was slightly over tested sometimes you know I was constantly it was all being put into this database and stuff spewed out and that's why in the end I stepped away because I was still running I'd got to this plateau and I was plateauing I plateaued in the marathon I know I think I would do things differently now so that's why I decided to do I went to Nepal did this trail race hated the first stage then when I was running with someone someone you might Lots of people might know Lizzie, Lizzie Hawke became a great friend of mine. And um, of course, I, I couldn't understand why I couldn't I get to this descent. And I just basically was terrified. I couldn't run down it, but I, my heart rate was fine, but I couldn't run down it. And it was a big test for me. And so that's partly why I actually wanted to stay. I wanted to stay and do ultras on the road because I thought that was better for me. So hence, I thought I'll do comrades. And that was down to Marathon Talk, what, listening to Tom and Martin do it that year. And I thought I'll give it a go. And um, and I did sort of fall in love with it. I always felt that I could run a long way reasonably fast. But going on to the, like you said, the trail and the mountain stuff, I mean, that was purely um, the adventure side of me. I'll never be good on that sort of stuff. I'll be good on groomed trails. You know, so I did Ultravus and that was like perfect for me. Sure. You know, it was so yeah. good. And I ran fast. I've done like the, I can always forget, was it the North Downs Way or the South Downs Way? One of those. I've still got the course record on that, which I you, can't believe. Yeah, you've, I've got um, that on your stats somewhere. North, yeah. Downs Way, North Downs Way 50, I think. Is that right? Anyway. Yeah, that's it. So that sort of stuff, I can run, I can still do it. I can still run quite fast for a long time. But you ask me to run a little bit faster, I just can't do it. And, you know, I'm much more of a diesel engine. So in terms of my mindset, has had to change as I've got older, whether it be on road or trail. And I have to say, I think I'm still a road runner because I'm training now for a marathon and there's nothing better, personally, I think, when you are fit running fast on tarmac. Running fast down a hill is amazing if you can do that. If you're someone like Killian or someone who, or Holly Page, we were talking about the other day. Mm. I can't do that. I never will be able to do it because I'm just not good enough. I've never done it. As a, I've never done it really well. I love groom trails. I have to change my mindset. You've also got a, a book out at the moment, The Big Book of Sessions. It says part two. Now, I have to be yeah. honest here, Holly. So I have to be honest here. I haven't read part one and I've obviously not seen part two yet. But here's your opportunity. Big Book of Sessions. Tell us all about that. Well, actually, me and Pete actually started this business just over a year ago, business, I say. We said, oh, if we make a couple of hundred quid from this so we can perhaps have a weekend away, it'll be a bonus, won't it? There you go. So we set it up. Really, it came down to me training with Pete. So Pete's a strength coach, a very good strength coach, and he was a British powerlifter himself. He wasn't a runner, but he's done ultras now. So you don't see, it's like a hybrid athlete thing. You don't see big lumps like him running 86 miles, which is the furthest run he's done. We could not, if you could go online and you can find training programs for anything, can't you? For free, you can mm. pay for them, you can get an online coach, whatever. But can you get a concurrent training program online that programs your strength in line with your running? We couldn't find any of that. And it was just like, this is crazy. So they had the, we, we combined our expertise of my running and my coaching and mainly just my years of running mm -hmm. and having great coaches. And his experience as a strength coach, and we combined them, and um, and that's where we developed our concurrent training programs, which have been hugely successful. Um, and then over lockdown, we thought, well, let's let's do something else, and we we wrote an ebook or e guide um, on how to lift and run, and that just basically explains how to program because so many people were doing it wrong and then wondering why they got injured or they couldn't move the next day. Um, so we wrote an ebook for that that was really successful. In fact, it's the most successful guide. And then we decided we wanted to do something else. And I had a bit of an idea one day and I was out for my run. I, that's when I do a lot of my thinking. And I thought, I've got, like next to me here, I've got all books. I don't do Strava. I don't do online stuff. I write all my training down with a pencil in a diary. Great. And I've got years of this, going back from the first year that I broke um, two, uh, three hours. I've got years of books of training and um, I looked at them and I thought, do you know what? I've got loads of knowledge in here. I've got loads of things that I actually did. I put them in a book. So I did that. I broke up the training. I put, so I've put loads of sessions in there because 
so many times what about you know some people if you're not coach you don't you're not quite sure what you're doing but you think I want to go and do a speed session today and I want it to be 5k specific or I want it to be a tempo but I haven't got any idea what to do or how it should look these guides have 40 sessions in each so you've got 80 sessions and then I also reached out to some of my friends other athlete friends and asked them what their favorite or what their go-to session was before their PB or something so we've got Steve Way in there I've got Liz Yelling I've got Dowie Griffiths people like that and their sessions in there which is quite nice and then I did the second book because I realized that people wanted more and I've got more sessions coming out of my ears so I did that um and I also put some I took some pictures of some of my training diaries and put those in because some of them are quite horrific. As in you know, they're, they're mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. I, I look at some of them and I think, what was I thinking? I mean, yeah. I can't remember this one day where I went and I did it. I'm going to get it wrong, but it was something ludicrous. I did some big run in the morning and then in the evening I went to track and did 10 by K. Then I would um, go home. This is nuts. I'm not saying this is right. Mm. Have no carbohydrate. This is crazy. Mm. Then in the evening, go out and do 10K again with the boys steady and then 5k hard so that's 35k for the day but a lot of that was uh, then I'd have some carbs I mean I don't that's ridiculous before comrades I did, did, did 20 miles on the Saturday 20 miles on the Sunday both at 615 miling wow you know but I I did do some crazy stuff and that's what I wanted to show people um so and, and then also in the books, you know, I, I used to write all over them stuff like exhausted, uh, shin yeah. pain, really yeah. tired. And then I would the, the most disturbing thing on one of those days, I actually put on the end of the week after I'd done this horrific week. I am so tired. I don't know why. I think I've got ME. Gosh, it is sad. And I look at it and I think, what was I doing? So there's stuff like that in the in the guides. Um, I've got Q and A's. You know, there's just the main thing is the give. The main thing about it is you can get these guides, and there's just tons of sessions in there. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, and this week's guest, Holly Rush. Remember, we've also got a Patreon page. So if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast, so it would be amazing if you could give us a little review or a rating. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to move on to, if possible, um, some of the other aspects of your, you know, your work at the moment and within the industry. Your co-hosting of Marathon Talk. Now, Listeners who listen regularly or might have listened to a couple of these podcasts will know that we've had on Martin Yellen, who was the originator. Let's let's call him that. We had along with yeah. Tom, Tom Williams. Yeah. You've been on the roster of hosts for a while, but with Tom Williams and Tony Audenshaw, unfortunately, moving on at the end of last year after a long stint on the show, and obviously Tom kicked it all off with Martin. How important is your is Marathon Talking your work now and that the podcast has gone fortnightly from weekly? Where do you see the Marathon Talk podcast going in the coming years and for yourself, but also maybe more in general? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's been over 10 years now that the boys had been doing it and it's a lot of work. I hadn't realised how much they do, you know, behind the scenes as well. So you're always having to get um, people interview. And if you think there's one every week, that's a lot of interviews. Then you have to edit the show. Then you have to publish the show. It's all it's very time consuming. You have to do the show notes and be really, really prepared. You know, we don't just rock up. It may sound like we do and make it all up. Uh, <laughs> we, it sounds like that, I'm sure. But, um, you know, there's quite a lot of research that goes into it. And it is time consuming. When there was four of us, um, it was easier, but it was still, you know, it's still quite stressful. And we made that decision when Tom and Tony stepped away, both for different reasons. It wasn't anything to do with our combination. It was just, you know, there was reasons why they wanted to move on and I totally get it. And so we did make that decision. We did make the decision that I, and 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 I think it was a good idea to go every two weeks because I felt like, especially as well, we were finding last year, there wasn't anything really to talk about with, there was no yeah. races, you know? Exactly. And it's hard um, to provide that sort of amount of content. And so we said, look, rather than us never, you know, stopping, which we don't want to do. And, you know, you realise even when Tom and Tony said they were stepping down, the outpour from the Marathon Talk community was huge and it was lovely. Um, and you see that when we have our Marathon Talk run camps, which obviously couldn't do last year. It's so lovely, the people. Sure. And, it, and it means a lot to them. You know, it's seen people through lots of bad times in their lives. You don't realise it because we're just sitting here talking mm. to, into our microphones, but 
And we don't really know sometimes the impact that it has on people and how important it is to them. So going to weekly means that um, we can get some really corker interviews um, that we can spend longer talking to them, maybe. So it's a bit more of a bumper edition. And we have actually more to talk about because we've not seen each other for two weeks. I think that that will continue that way unless anything else changes. Um, And so far, it's been received really, really well. When Marathon Talk started, there weren't many podcasts around. You know, now they're popping up everywhere and anyone can do a podcast. You running know? industry podcast. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. I mean, look at this one, you know. <laughs> um, so it is, a, it, and I think it's great. Um, yeah. So you can, you know, I've got other days where you just be like, oh, it's only Marathon Talk. I can listen to this week on my long run. You've got a selection of stuff to listen to. So we are competing against that. And we have our own sort of niche, I think. Um, we're not bad boy running podcast, far from it, with the probably the other end. But so in terms of the future, I think we'll keep trundling on. Um, we need to get more interesting people to interview. That's the thing. So, yeah, DM me. Trundling, <laughs> trundling. That's hard. You know, trying to let's get everyone excited. Trundling. Okay, we're, we're speeding yeah. along at, at yes. a sound of, yeah. yeah. Sound of six six 6.15 miles. That's right. But, but I guess that, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I couldn't agree more. I've been listening to podcasts personally for, you know, a number of years. I've been, I've actually been helping produce podcasts as well and certain uh, programs and stuff. For, and, but I agree with you now. Not only that, when Marathon Talk first started in 2010, you know, you have to remember Instagram hadn't started. Twitter and Facebook were still only just Quite being... Quite early t- days. Mm. There's maybe, I don't know, around the world, maybe a hundred podcasts on running if that you know what people could listen to and in the uk maybe only one you're battling for a lot of let's say ear and eye space aren't you with what you're doing at the moment yeah and i think also the format that we have which we have changed slightly you know we did do a lot of um interaction with the listeners and the community so we had you know if you if you think back what we did we used to have like jantastic the magic Mm. mile we had loads Mm. of stuff Mm. and we don't do that so much now um and the podium listeners podium and we used to have god we used to have to read out all the races that were coming up i remember doing that so yeah things are changing all the time and i guess you do have to adapt i'd quite like to interview people in the endurance world not mm. necessarily just running, mm. you know, mm. anyone, most people, you could say that any, so many people you could speak to have picked up a pair of trainers, maybe gone for a run once. Mm. Mm. You know, we had Pete Reed on the other day, who was amazing, but he'd never run a marathon. He'd hardly ran. But I think if you've got an interesting story, that's my personal thing. I mean, I mean some people definitely just want to have runners on there. Yeah. I'd like to touch on a bit of a controversial topic, if possible, and get your view if, if you're happy to offer it as well, uh, Holly. You'll probably know that over the last few weeks and months, really, we call it, let's call it the levelling up of women's and men's distances when it comes to cross-country running. I think this is, this is going to become even more high profile in the media, I think. Yeah. What's your view on the <laughs> fact that certain people within the sport want women to be racing the same distances as men? Certain people in the sport don't, and that includes women as well. It's a, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is an interesting topic. And I think the whole run equal debate that came out, and we're talking about the cross-country stuff, I know, and other, other th- aspects there. And, and there was, a, you know, obviously a number of high-profile female athletes who'd signed this um, letter. I, I was quite surprised when I read it, if I'm honest, because it felt like quite confusing, almost like reverse feminism, if that's the thing. I felt that it was quite odd coming from some of those people um i think that and this is just my opinion i think that maybe for some people they were more put out with the way it was done rather than the actual debate about whether women can run or women should be racing the same distances in cross country um as men i think it was just the way it was done maybe within uka the way they uh, sent out the questionnaire that it perhaps wasn't it was a foregone conclusion um that that that's they made the decision that that's what was going to happen, that everyone will be racing the same distance and no one was really given those options. I don't know because I didn't see the form. So I guess I'm just making an assumption there. Um, I don't see there is any argument to suggest why we cannot run the same distance. I don't get it really. I think, you know, we fought for long enough to be able to run a marathon and that took a long time to happen. Um, and I don't think that, I personally don't think there's any argument that can be said about uh, women and men or juniors running sort of 8K on grass. I just, 
there's no difference. I don't think mm. there's any difference. If anything, mm. women or girls are more developed. So I, I, I don't get that. And it's sort of been debated probably for the wrong reasons rather than actually I think there's a lot of people talking about it in terms of uh, wh- whether we should be running the same distance but I don't think it, the argument was really actually about that in the first place I think it was the way it was decided. Do you think then that actually at heart somebody like Paula who is probably mm-hmm. the most you know certainly one of the most high profile on that that list yeah, and obviously and the most vocal and the most vocal and obviously you know one of the highest achieving let's face it of uh, of the athletes do you think that actually she would quite like to see men and women run the same distances but it's how they've gone about it um i'd hope to think that's what she thinks yeah i don't know i haven't sort of um gone in deep into i try and keep away from twitter if i'm honest because mm. there's some pretty dark sides to it yeah. um but yeah i guess um i'd like to think that that's um their thought process I guess, you know, just putting it into, say, the trail perspective, you can't really, you know, you can't imagine the sort of, you know, people rocking up to UTMB and I'm going, okay, Holly, over there for the... Uh, exactly. I hope, I hope that what they can do is come together and, you know, this, this the Run Equal movement, any, all the governing bodies and just kind of go, let's put differences to one side, whatever it's be, for the good of the sport, let's just level them up. You know? I think that's what will happen and it will have to happen and, and hopefully things will move on um, for the good of the sport so that we can just get yeah. on with it. This is the Running Industry Podcast, um, as people who are listening would like to know. I'd like to, I mean, you work for ASICS, one of the biggest brands in running industry, obviously, Holly, um, and one of the most historic, you know, going back Mm. literally decades and decades and decades. You can maybe offer uh, an opinion on, you know, how the ASICS brand uh, sits within industry or more more generally, I think. What do you think about the, the way the running industry operates at the moment, all the way from, you know, brands through to social media? What sort of state do you think the running industry and the world of running is in at the moment? Well, I mean, 2020 was a great time for the running industry. I mean, we saw a running boom. Um, uh, So many brands um, did a great job pushing running, uh, pushing e-commerce sales. I mean, we certainly had a, we didn't do really badly. There were, I know that there were quite a few brands who stepped back and didn't want to push anything and and stayed quite quiet. But I think a majority of um, brands took advantage of it and, you know, have that brand share. I think with ASICs, we've always, like you said, we have always come from um, a caring nature. That was how, you know, we started, the company was started um, back in the 40s with um, our founder, Onitsuka, was about, you know, helping people in the in his community and, and providing them shoes to be able to run and stuff. And that's where we've we've kept our sound mind, sound body. It's all about, you know, the caring side of the brand and the mental health of people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think the the running boom, as we call it, has yeah has done really well over the last twelve months. I'd be interested to see what happens going forward. Um, I mean, I don't know an awful lot enough about all the other brands, if I'm honest. Um, I know where we stand in terms of like brand share, etc. Um, but um, I think that, like we said, Asics has been. It's been the, well, when I look back at some of the pictures, actually, I was looking through yesterday, I was talking through some photos and I hadn't realised actually that, so the first shoes that I wore were Asics because that was the shoe when I went to the running shop, this was the shoe that you get, you know, it's the good shoe, mm. it's made well and it's, this is, you know, the right one. It's not I the... I suppose you're like GL 2050 era and that sort exactly, of thing. Exactly, it was yeah. the G yeah. T 2000 something, I mean, it's 2000. yeah. 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 Um, I had that shoe and, and then even in so when I got faster, I've, I looked at them and I was wearing ASICs then. It, it's always been, we've sort of been that stalwart, haven't we? Always there. I think at times we've lost our way, the brand slightly, it was slightly less cool in terms of the, the running industry. Like I said, I think we're, the brands are, we're doing really, really well at the moment. Every, almost every guest that seems to that comes on at the moment, we have a little chat about the, the shoes, the shoe debate. Uh, but, the yeah, shoes, yeah. We, we perhaps wouldn't t- don't want to touch too much on the deep debate, but I know that um, Sarah Hall was wearing some prototypes, wasn't she, at the London race? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about those cool new, um, let's call them carbon sole shoes? Yes. So we had the Meta Racer, which we bought out uh, last year, which was a great new racing shoe. Like before we'd had the hyperspeed and stuff like that, which was more of the traditional racing dap, as I call it. So really wafer thin, really light really flexible the shoes that I used to love running in you know they were so light it was all about the weight you know you could put them on scales and it'd be how many grams um so the the we 
the Meta Racer, which had the sort of rocker and the carbon plate in, but not anywhere near the stack height as some of the other shoes, you know, so and not as squishy and bouncy. So you had a little bit of best of both worlds, but they're not, say, like the shoe, the Vaporfly or the Alphafly or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sarah Hall wore the prototype at um, London and the Speed Project, I think, in America. Um, and everyone was like, oh, what are these shoes? Because they looked like the Meta Racer. Sure, yeah but they had a higher stack height. Um, so yes, that shoe comes out in March. Um, there's two different variations according to the stack heights. I'm excited to get a pair um, and to try them out. Hopefully I'll have them for my, for my marathon. Um, but yes, they are, they're saying it's the fastest marathon shoe. And to be fair, I mean, Sarah Hall improved her marathon time over 11 weeks by two minutes. I'm really excited. Yeah, and I think ultimately, you know, I've had this discussion a lot, like I say, on the show, but also with various people, you know, who I'm in the community with. In the in the early days, you could see that there was a animosity, let's call it slight animosity from those brands and those people who didn't have the, the technology. But I think what you can say is that Nike, what they've done is, whatever you think of the way they've gone about it, that what they've done is they've, they've also helped, you know, move technology forward and it's kind of raising the level, the bar for everyone great to hear that the ASICs are pushing on uh, a wonderful brand. How do you see the future of the industry and the sport, I suppose, in terms of competitively, recreationally? Um, how's that going to unfold? Well, I mean, I think lockdown has had a big impact on that, hasn't it? And like the virtual racing and stuff is not really for me, if I'm honest. I did the virtual under marathon. It was horrendous. Yeah, sure. um, I think that... I think that there will always be a place for that. And I think it will, yeah, get bigger and bigger, but you're always going to still have um, the the races. You're going to have the big marathons. I think more and more though, there are more, how do I say, like fun, fun run type races, like charity races, different types of races, like canicross races, obstacle court races, the tough mudder stuff that we never was never around. Spartan sure. is a really big thing that's getting bigger and bigger. I mean, let's look at ultra running and trail running, like we just said. Ultra running back when I was running was for people with long hair who just ran in flappy shorts, you know, like strange people. And so things have changed so much. But it used to be just like the club races, the club cross country. And that was terrifying for most people, wasn't it? So that that's what's been that's what's been so great. Before it would be like, oh, I can't do that. It's terrifying. I can't go and do Leeds Abbey Dash or something, or I can't go and do Alsager five or whatever, you know, because it's terrifying. Everyone's really fast and I'll be last. That's not the case anymore. There's just so many different races for different people doing different distances. You can jump through hoops in some of them and you can race to the stones. You can camp halfway. There's just so many opportunities. Um, And I just, I guess that's just going to continue. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Holly. It's been great. And there's lots of stuff I'd like to talk in a lot more depth. But Part two. Part two. There you go. Holly Rush, part two. Come on then. What do you see as your greatest industry or career achievement to date? Oh, I, I'll have to go to, for career, I guess. So, well, it, it has to be the European champs getting, um, you know, just getting there. <laughs> then having a, I had a horrific stitch in the race I was almost last and then reeling back to come in third Brit so I was count, counting for the medal and then standing on a podium in an Olympic stadium on a blazing hot summer's day um, the same day that my husband at the time Martin had raced at Barcelona Olympics and come into the stadium as a race walker on exactly the same day and I was standing on the podium getting a medal and so that was, yeah, I mean, like I say, it was like an imposter syndrome. How on earth had I managed to get there? Yeah. You know? With your, with your GB tracksuit on and... With my GB tracksuit, sweating buckets because yeah. it's so hot. Um, but yeah, so that that was a, a day I'll never, ever, ever forget. We've talked about the running industry in five years or so, um, Holly. Where do you see yourself um, in five years? That's a tough question sometimes, isn't it? Well, in five years' time, I'll be... Um, You'll be... Nearly 50. 50 yeah. Still a young lady, don't uh, worry. <laughs> still a young lady. I remember thinking when I w- when I was running, when I was competing, that I would retire when I was 40. I just, you know, I don't know why I put that number on my head. Um, and of course, I'll never retire as long as I can keep moving. Mm. Um, I'll be still doing the same sort of stuff. I would like to think maybe I will have stepped away from social media and be living in a cabin off grid somewhere. 
I'm striving for that. I love my cottage in Freem. I've got a little tiny cottage. I'd like to just pick it up and plonk it in the middle of nowhere. Because uh, it sounds like this is ages away. Five years is not that far, is it, really? My God, I'm just... Um, no, I think that I would have just downscaled a lot, let's put it that way. Let's finish off, Holly, by... I asked Martin this a few weeks ago, Martin yelling, and he offered a really quite a poignant and emotional um, reply, actually. Some people have offered some slightly bizarre ones and some people have offered some um, very funny ones. But how about Holly Rush? Tell us something that people would not know about you. Well, they might know this about me. So my um, past life, before I started running, I was obsessed with horses. I was brought up on a game farm. My father was a gamekeeper. And um, all I, I didn't have any brothers or sisters at the time. And I had a horse who I spoke to all the time, which is very odd. Um, and so my dream was to become a jockey and to... Wow. Work in the racing yards. And that's what I did. So I used to work at the weekends at the racing yards. My dad would drop me off very early in the morning and I'd work as I was like 14 or 15. And um, and then I got to go and work in Newmarket um, and I got two rides, um, two races. Um, so it was a very short lived career, but I did get my dream and I rode at Goodwood. Um, and so, yeah, I was in a past life, a jockey. But it's a hard life being a female jockey, especially then. It's not so now. We've got, in fact, I'd love to get a female jockey on Marathon Talk because I'm sure they run a bit because yeah. um, it's a very it's very different now for women. But at the time, it was re- really hard as a woman to be a girl, to be, to get you a You were a trailblazer. So from I European know. Championship podium to the 2.30 at Goodwood, six for <laughs> Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, God, I can't even remember. I can't even remember the distance or anything. It was flats. Yeah. I can't remember any of it, but it was Bam. yeah, glor- glorious Goodwood. So yes, that was my past life. Absolutely brilliant. You never know. You might re- might return to that one day. Grand National. God, I mean, I haven't sat on a horse for so long. It's really, it's just, <laughs> it's it is literally a past life. Um, but yes, I no, I think I think those days are gone. Well, whatever you do, you know, I'm sure you'll do in a very very. Um, inspiring and competent way, Holly, because you're an inspiration to many people in what oh, you've not you. only what you've done in your running career, um, and also what you've done in terms of your work with ASICS, but your continued fantastic work on Marathon Talk, and obviously your Rust by Nature, helping people to become stronger and better at what they're doing. Um, it's brilliant, and we need more Holly rushes, I think. <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure about that. I think that Pete would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Like I said, I can talk the hind legs off a donkey. Um, so I, I would happily carry on talking about anything and everything. Maybe, yeah, like I say, maybe a part two sometime. But I'm really <laughs> grateful. Thanks very much, Holly. It's been lovely talking. No problem. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Running Industry Podcast and a big, big thanks to this week's guest, Holly Rush. And we'd like to wish Holly and all of the ASICS frontrunner team the very best for 2021. I'm grateful as ever to everyone who tunes into the show. And over the coming weeks, we've got some amazing guests from ultra running greats to coaches and brand owners. Thanks as ever for listening and remember that reviews and ratings always help the Running Industry Podcast in gaining exposure. So it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review and of course make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And of course you can follow us on social media via at Run Industry. A quick mention again that we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com where you can catch all of the episodes of the show. Keep listening, keep spreading the word and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening and until the next time, goodbye.